Genesis um, chapter 29, starting with verse 10, I believe. No, 15, apologize, 15. Verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsmen, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him, gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she again conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing the word of God, you may be seated. So I've actually preached over this scripture before and here. However, we were having technical difficulties that day, so you have no proof of that. Um, Even if you could find it, it will be a much different sermon than this one. There will be some things that are similar. In fact, if you're preaching the word, all people who are preaching that same word should have some similarities. But there often is so much within any given scripture that there are things that you add, there are things that you bring out as you, as you go along. I want to remind you before we get into this portion right here, we're in this series on the patriarchs, and what has just happened in Jacob's life. 
Jacob, due to his own decisions, is alienated from his family. He deceived his own father, he deceived his brother, and now his brother's not having it, and he had to get out of there as fast as he could. He, did, he made the same mistakes his grandpa Abraham did. He heard about a promise that the, young, the older would serve the younger, meaning him and his brother. He was the younger, his brother the older, and he thought, I'll help God out. Remember that with Abraham and Sarai? Abraham and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah? They hear the word of, the God, word of God that they will, their progeny will be as much as the dust on the, on, the, on the shore, as many as the stars in the sky. And they think, okay, we know how this will go. We'll just have him take her servant Hagar and have children through him. And God's like, no, 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 no. See, God, when he wants to do something, he doesn't need you to help him. He needs you to obey him. Can I say this again? God doesn't need you to help him. He needs you to obey him, to trust him, that God will, come, will bring about what he has said. Because if God has said it, nothing can stand between God and what God has said. King David knew this. That's why he never left, um, lifted a hand against Saul, even though God brought him into his hand, not once, but twice. Jacob's family, they, they are a dysfunctional family. You know, they, they make... Uh, they make uh, the Connors look like the Brady Bunch. That's a nice little TV land reference right there. Isaac and Rebecca. Um, Isaac and Rebecca, they did something very unwise, something that parents should not do, and that's to have a favorite. Not just to have a favorite, but to have an open favorite. For Isaac, it was Esau. Esau was an outdoorsman. He was a man of the earth and he loved him for that. And he made sure everybody knew this. For Jacob, it was his mother, Rebecca, who doted on him, who helped him in his betrayal. In God's plan of salvation, he works through the Jewish people in a line of succession of leaders, what we call the patriarchs. And from generation to generation, they send the faith to the next generation. There was a prophecy for Jacob and Esau that the older would serve the younger, even though in their time, the norm, what would have been seen as moral, would have been the older to be served by the younger. It's not only seen as improper, but as immoral. Jacob, like so many people before him and after him, tried to help God out. When his father, who was blind as a bat, is on his deathbed, Jacob dressed like his brother by putting on goat's hair and garments, and he steals Esau's blessing. When God says he will do something, he does it. He doesn't need us to help him, but to obey him. Jacob's grandfather tried the same thing. Abraham with Hagar. And today, gas is almost $4 a gallon because of it. <laughs> Esau wants to kill Jacob. He's not taking this lying down. And Jacob has to leave. And he leaves, and he leaves everything. He's penniless now. He doesn't bring any flocks with him, no servants, no, no kind of hard currency. He has nothing. And he has to travel 500 miles to get to, to get to the people of his mother. And actually, it's his people too. See, we're not talking about traveling from like Ireland to Germany back in the, uh, back in the tribal days. We are talking from one people to the same people of a different family. They are his people and he is fleeing to them. He is fleeing to them. He has lost everything he looked to hold on to, including his mother. He will not see his mother again in the land of the living. Jacob, when we think of Jacob, when we think of Jacob and Rachel, we think of love. And what imagery, what emotions, what thoughts come to mind when I say that word, love? 
Most people would agree that love is the most important thing there is, but very few can agree on exactly what love is. In the English language, last time I checked on dictionary.com, there was over 20 definitions for that one word, love. I say my wife, I love her, and then I see pizza, and I'm like, I love pizza. My friend had posted a, uh, a photo of the sushi we ate on Wednesday, and under, underneath it I said, that sushi is to die for. But it goes beyond that too. Some people will say one action is unloving, and another one will say it is loving. Is it loving not to support your child? Well, what if that child is 33 years old and refuses to get a job and just wants to live at home for the rest of their life? Is it unloving to tell someone they're going to hell? Most people say absolutely it's unloving to tell people they're going to hell. But I remember this video from this atheist named Penn Jillette. He's also an illusionist. And he's a very militant, outspoken atheist. And one of his blog posts, he talks about a man coming up to him after his show, and it touched his heart so deeply. He gave him a Bible. And in that, in his little blog post, he says, I don't, I don't trust people who don't, he, the word proselytize, meaning sharing your faith. He doesn't trust people who do that. But he's like, if you, have, if you know about eternal life, and you're just keeping that to yourself, or, or better yet, if you know that somebody, without a doubt, is going to go to hell if they don't know your God, and for social pressure, you're not going to say anything, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them that they're going to hell? I would submit that it is vastly more unloving to know that someone is on the road to eternal damnation and not warn them because it might make things awkward. There are many great righteous loves in our life. There's love for friends. That's phileo. Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. It comes from the Greek word for brotherly love and the Greek city-state, Delphia. The love of family, storge. There's the sexual love that should be in marriage, which is eros. Today, I'd like to speak to you about a man in the Bible who loved in all these ways, but it was in a disordered way. Pastor Tim Keller, who has since been on, went on to be with the Lord, said, the functional cause of our discontent in our, in our lives is that our loves are out of order. The functional cause of our discontent is that our loves are out of order. Whitney Houston sang a song about how the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. The Beatles sang, all you need is love, but soft cell had the right of it, is that all of these loves are a tainted love. Most love that is sang about, written about, spoken about is a tainted love because it is a love that is out of order. Instead of the love coming from our love for Christ, it comes from a different place. The patriarch Jacob learns about this the hard way. Last time on Patriarchs. Before we get into the scripture today, I want to give you a refresher on the, very, the, the most recent moments of Jacob's life. Jacob just had a dream from God in which there was a staircase connecting heaven to earth. We know in the New Testament from the words of Christ that he is that staircase. He is what connects heaven to earth. He has this dream and God tells him that he will, he will, he will, and that he will do these things for him. And then when Jacob gets up, he's afraid. He calls the place Bethel. He calls the place Bethel, and he says, if he will, if he will. He's not a place of faith yet, and that is going to cost him quite dearly. As we get into chapter 29, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Um, the, the Hebrew word that they are translating to journey here, it literally means to kick up your feet. 
He was excited to go on this journey, obviously, to go to where God was calling him and sending him. The journey from Bethel to Mesopotamia, where he is going, is 450 miles. I don't know if we even traveled that this weekend one way, did we? And we were in a car, and it seemed like it took forever. I wonder how long it took for him. In verse 2, it says, As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep laying beside it. For out, of, for out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll. How many shepherds? More than one. Multiple shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and the water and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. They have this big stone on the well. It's very smart because then you don't have animals falling into your water supply, contaminating your water supply, or, you know, not worse yet, but more common is that they might relieve themselves in your water supply. Also really bad. They put a stone on this, making sure. And they would do this together. It was so heavy that the animals couldn't just shrug it off. You need several of them to pick it up. We picked this up in verse four. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. That's where he's going. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahar? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? The word they're translating, is it well with him? Is shalom. Shalom doesn't just mean peace. It means to be complete. We, we accept peace as in there's nothing currently going crazy. I'm at peace. But God wants to give you shalom. He wants you to be whole, like a, like a wall needs to be whole. Is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Verse 7, he said, Behold, it is high day. It is not the time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, um, and go uh, pasture them. So, hot babe is coming. Why don't you guys get out of here? You're cramping my style. That's basically what's happening right here. The shepherds are gathered around. He's like, it's time for you to water your sheep, I think. How, that's a good idea because he sees Rachel coming and he knows that she is the daughter of his uncle. I know that's weird in our day. In their day, their, their taboo around incest, it was there, but it was different. In verse eight, but they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Um, then we will water the sheep. So they're all hanging around and they're like, we can't get out of here until this, until we're able to water the sheep, the stones there. So in verse nine, when he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her, with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Verse 10. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouth of the water of the flock of his mother's brother. A lot of words right there. Basically, what took a bunch of other people to do, he's like, how about we get you guys out of here right now? How about that once he sees her coming down? He, he doesn't want them messing up his vibe. Um, when he sees her, obviously, he thinks, she's, thinks quite something of her in verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. So obviously, she, th she thinks something highly of him as well. It is a bit weird when we look at ages. Um, when we look at different like sources like Josephus or like the Talmud, it would say that she's barely marriageable age. And Jacob actually at this time is around 70 years old. Yet Jacob actually outlives 
Rachel. Um, it's kind of a, a weird dichotomy right there, but obviously there is some attraction there because both of them are looking to get this match set up and ready. In verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Uh, house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Now let's remember something about Laban. Laban, we've met him before. When Abraham's servant went to Mesopotamia to find Rebekah for Isaac, um, he sees Laban, and Laban actually wants him to stay much, much longer because Laban doesn't want to let the, the, the flower of their people go without paying enough that he wants him to pay. Laban, in my mind, Laban, he's, he's like the epitome of the bad businessman, the, the shyster who's always looking to get something over on somebody else. In my mind, when I read the story, everybody's like period specific, except for Laban. Laban looks like a Ferengi, and he's consulting his, oh, I love, I love references. No one gets this awesome. And he's consulting his rules of acquisition to re- figure out a way that he can, he can finally get what's due him and his family um, for letting uh, his sister go away at such a cheap price, which it was not a cheap price. And that brings us up to verse 15. Then, Jacob, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Jacob here in the rest of this chapter is going to get taken advantage of badly. In Laban, Jacob, he was called, his name literally means heel grabber, which also, which also means usurper. It means a deceiver. But in Laban, he meets his match. If Jacob ever wondered, where do I get my wildliness from? My, my intellect, my cunning. Well, he's about to find it's on his mother's side. And he, in Laban, he is going to find somebody who will, be, who will get the advantage in almost every time except for the very last. And it'll be a very long time. He's only going to go there for a few days. A few days turns into 20 years. And we're going to find out how it turns into 20 years here as we go through the rest of this chapter. We look at this, we see Jacob, he wants somebody to love. He has left his kindred, he's left his family, he's left the one person on this earth, his mother, who cared for him, who openly shows him affection. He is now without that. He has one, love and longing. Two, love and disappointment. Three, love and redemption. Verses 15 through 20, love and longing. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, For love is as strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. It flashes our flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Young people who are not married, hear me. Do not awaken love before it's time. God does not want you to have sex one week and then wait a month and have sex again. He wants you to be married in a covenant to enjoy this. Because it is a fire and it is a fire that pleases the Lord because it's done in matrimony. And when we take it, when we take what is good and take it out of God's purview, it is then perverted into something very destructive. You hear, you hear the, 
You hear the writer of Song of Songs say, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as grave. It flashes or flashes of fire. They are very flame of the Lord. In verse 15 through 20, we see Jacob here agreeing to a very bad deal. In fact, he's the one who comes out with it. In verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? He's not just a field laborer. He's a manager of his estate. Tell me what then shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. This is some fun trivia. Leah means cow. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Rachel means little girl lamb. Little girl lamb. So even, even for us, the readers, and if you knew the names, you, even if you don't know the names, you get the hint after a while. So we have the cow and we have the little girl lamb. And for some reason, Jacob wants the little girl lamb. Um, verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. There's been so much debate over the years. What does it mean that her eyes were weak? Did she was nearsighted, farsighted? Was she cross-eyed? Was it that there was no sparkle in her eyes? It really is clear that whatever it should mean, it is a comparison to Rachel. See, Leah could be very beautiful, but Rachel was a knockout. And all of Leah's life, she is unfavorably compared to Rachel. That kills your spirit. Parents, Watch the way you raise your kids. When you start comparing and contrasting them, you'll hurt their spirit when they get older. There are issues you probably have with your adult siblings that go all the way back to somebody unfavorably comparing you to them. We see here, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel's eyes were beautiful in form and appearance. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Verse 19, Laban said, it is, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. You know what he doesn't say here? Yes or no. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew, he talks about not making oaths. Don't swear upon anything or heaven and earth, not upon God's throne, not upon your own head. It all belongs to the Lord. What are you to swear by? In fact, you know something, it is blasphemy to swear upon the Lord because you want him to co-opt your nonsense. He doesn't want to co-opt your nonsense. Take his name as holy. Don't swear upon anything of heaven and earth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You want an illustration? Laban, who does not say yes or no. He says, should give her to you rather than somebody else. Please stay with me. In Jacob's mind, that's yes. In Laban's mind, that is, we'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling at the moment. We'll see if I can actually get more out of you than what you're willing to ask. And what, what Jacob is... What Jacob is offering right here, any sensible relative should have said, absolutely not, that's too long. If he was just a day laborer, according to the arithmetic of what a day laborer in that time made, seven years is way in excess of what you need for any bride price. And that's what we're talking about here is the bride price. It is what you compensate the family for them losing a good worker. She was a shepherdist. I think I talked about this before, and I blame Skip Hendricks for this because I don't know this firsthand. But apparently even today in the Middle East, in Bedouin, in Bedouin communities, the, the men, they sit around the fire eat, drinking coffee, and the women do all the work. 
So, I mean, ladies, if you're like, ah, oh, you know, we need, we, need, we need the work or whatever, it's like, we could be like that where you do all the work. Um, Rachel is to compensate the family. That is way in excess of anything. Jacob is in a prime position to be taken advantage of. He is longing for love. Why does Jacob make such a bad decision? Easy, the answer is love. Men have been making bad decisions for love for thousands of years. And if God doesn't come back for another thousand, they'll be making bad decisions for a thousand more. We already see this with Jacob, um, lifting that stone by himself. He could have thrown his back out. He's seven years old, but he wants to show her how strong he is. As somebody who has been in youth ministry for a number of years, man, that is so reminiscent. Young men trying to show off for the young ladies. Jacob is longing to be loved. He doesn't really know Rachel very well, right? He's sexually attracted to her, sure, and he loves her in many ways, but it's certainly in form and beauty. We don't know if actually Rachel loves him in this entire narrative. In fact, when we get a little further in, when there is the wives of Jacob, they kind of have a schedule of who gets to entertain him what night, and she sells one of her nights to her sister for a plant. Jacob had burned every bridge with his family. His mother, who was the only person in his life who showed him any affection, will never see him again. He is longing for love. And as the theologian queen said, can somebody, anybody, find me somebody to love? Rachel could not fill the longing in Jacob's heart. That's what makes this love a tainted love. Because he cannot get from Rachel what he needs. He couldn't get from his mother what he needs. And while we are reading this story, it's easy for us to critique and judge Jacob. But what about us? What are you longing for? Fill in this blank. Once this happens, I will be happy. Once I go on that vacation, once I get married, once that person that I'm kind of interested in, I've been putting out the vibe all this time, and they haven't figured it out. When they figure it out and we get married, now I will be happy. If I get that job, that promotion, now I'll be happy. Whatever you fill that blank in with that will make you happy, that would give you joy, that is your God. And dear believer, your love for God goes cold as those loves start bumping up against him. In the book of Revelation chapter three, when God is talking to the church in Ephesus, he tells them, he, he tells them really good things. He's like, I'm glad you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. I hate it too. He's like, but this I have against you. You've forgotten your first love. Some of us, we think so much of the work of the Lord, we've forgotten about the, the Lord of the work that our love for him starts growing cold and other love starts supplanting the love that we should have for him. I'm not saying this only for the unsaved, but yes, Christians too, our love can grow cold. That's why we constantly, constantly, constantly have to be prioritizing the love of the Lord in our life. It allows us to love the people in our life better. Because if we don't, if we put them above the Lord, we will crush them with the expectation that they need to be God to us and they cannot be that. Don't pay for what comes free. Jacob makes a poor decision here. He sells himself into slavery to find love, but the love he truly needed was free. God will have to wrestle Jacob down before he realizes this. And for some of us, that's exactly what God had to do. For some of you, God needs to do that. 
He needs to wrestle you down. It's like when my cat buddy keeps eating the grass he's not supposed to eat. And I have to hold him down. I have to take it out of his mouth. And he fights me the whole time. And it's like, it's bad for you. God needs to do that with us often. In fact, there's a, there's a poem, and I forget the name of it, but it starts with, bang on my heart, O three-person God. You've dealt gently with me. I need you to basically just make me do it. Once I um, don't pay for what comes free, in, first, in Psalm chapter 63, verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. In Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. It's like we want to shout to Jacob, Jacob, you're longing for love. That's what you want. You don't need Rachel to be your wife, and you're going to sell yourself for 14 years to have it. You need the Lord. And that would have put him in a much better position. His father-in-law Laban couldn't take advantage of him because he didn't have what Jacob truly wanted. What Jacob truly wanted, Jacob could, Laban could not give. And that leads us into verses 16 through 30, love and disappointment. In verse verse, uh, 16 here, the time is up. The time is up and it's time for for him to get his wife. Then Jacob said to Laban, verse 21, sorry, give me my wife that I may go in to her for my time is complete. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. The seven years are up and Jacob, he wants his wife. He wants what he has quote unquote paid for with the seven years of slavery. He demands to be married to Rachel and he goes as far as to saying so that he can have sex with her. And by the way, if that makes you gasp, it should. As the reader, we should blush a little bit because he's being crass. It seems like a very little time, but he is somebody, obviously, who is so singularly focused that he doesn't even realize who's in the bed with him that night. The Bible never shies away from the imperfections of those we consider the good guys. Because the truth is, there's only one good guy, and the rest just point to him. Jacob's deceived. Laban seems... Seems like he is good to his word. He has the feast, he has the ceremony, but the night, that night, however, he switches Rachel for Leah. Jacob didn't want to marry Leah. The deal that he thought he had struck was for Rachel. Marriage ceremonies in the ancient Near East, this is the reason why this could happen. Ain't marriage ceremonies in the ancient Near East, the bride is heavily veiled. It's a party that goes on for three days. It's very possible he drank into excess. Also, when it's, when it's nighttime, out in the country, out into way away, when you're way away from the city, it is black in a way you can scarcely imagine. And before I go into this next part right here, and the next verse right here, verse 23, but in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Leah gave, uh, Laban gave his female servant Zephoth to his daughter Leah to be her, to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you, serve with you for Rachel? So before I go into this next sub point, I want to just point something out here that I love Leah. Before I go into this, I love Leah. I have never, I've never met her, but when I read about her story, I feel so bad for her. She doesn't get a say in what happens, really. I mean, she does have a choice. 
She could have let it slip in the night that she wasn't who she was. But in general, what many commentators, including Lighthammer, said, if your dad asked you to do something, you did it. You didn't question it. He told her to do it, so she did it. Not to mention, she is looking to be married as well. She has a younger daughter, which, well, not younger daughter, younger sister who's making that very difficult. But she doesn't get a say in what just happened. She genuinely loves Jacob. And he asks, and he is, and he has, has to live in the, and she has to live in the shadow of her younger sister for her entire life. And things that are about, and that is about to get much worse. Once Jacob takes Rachel as a wife as well, she can never get away from the shadow of her sister. And she will know all of her life that her husband loves her sister more than her. So with that being said, I just want to repeat what the scripture had said. It was Leah. Behold, it was Leah in the morning. And it's Leah always in the morning. I'm not trying to make this an allegory, only pointing out that how this illustrates this truth. That things, people, jobs, relationships we try to get that we think will satisfy us and make us happy. In the end, when we wake up, it is we try to obtain Rachel, but we end up with Leah. From the Village Voice, um, author Cynthia Hamill says, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, and Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten, practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. You see, Sly, Bruce, and Barbara wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. We look at celebrities and we're like, oh, we could just be like them. And they work all of their life. They sacrifice so much. And then once they gain this thing, this unattainable thing that they wanted, at the, when they wake up, they realize it's Leah, not Rachel. Because it's always Leah, not Rachel. Because what you truly need is not Rachel. You need the Lord. He is awfully disappointed. He is furious. Jacob finds Laban and confronts him about the deception. In the Hebrew, when, he tells, when, he, when Jacob tells Laban, he says, what is this you have done? It's not a question. He's not wondering. Nobody's wondering. It's an accusation. In the Hebrew, it is the same exact wording when God confronts Adam and Eve when they've eaten the fruit. The Lord knows what they've done. They knew what they, were, they have done. Jacob is hopping mad. I'd imagine he is furious at being lied to, deceived, made a fool of. He is calling Laban to account. And at this part in the narrative, I think all of us wonder, why didn't he just throttle him one? He drops the matter almost right away. In verse, uh, in verse uh, 25, in verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Verse 26, and Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give, to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for service, serving me another seven years. Jacob did so. What? I mean, it's kind of weird. We're reading in English and Jacob, he's hopping mad. He's coming in. What, what is this you've done to me? Didn't I serve you for this time? And Laban just like, well, around here, we don't give the younger before the older. And Jacob's like, okay, okie dokie. I guess I'll serve for another seven years. That's not what's happening here. 
What's happening here, I, it's one of the things that kind of gets lost in translation, lost in custom. He is mad. He is furious. And trying to cite some legal precedent would not have made his anger ebb even the slightest, but he strikes at his very heart. He strikes at his conscience. He strikes at his guilt. This is what the enemy of our soul does as well. He strikes at our guilt. Because this is the, a more direct translation would be this. Amongst our people, we don't prefer the younger to the older. What did Jacob just do? See, Jacob thought, okay, I'm going to get mine, and then I get out of here, I'm going to come back, I get to rule the whole place. He didn't think about how much it shamed his father, his mother, his whole family, that when he goes to his people, they're not, when, when Laban says, amongst our people, that doesn't include Jacob anymore. It doesn't include his family anymore. He's brought such shame upon his family. You can imagine when he wakes up in the morning, he sees Leah, he could be shaking her. And he says, when I called out in the darkness, Rachel, why'd you say it's here am I? Because Leah could have said right back to his face in Isaac's darkness. And he called out Esau. Why did you say here I am? Why? During that whole charade, not once did you try to fess up to what was going on. No, you played your dad for a sucker, and now my dad has played you for a sucker. It cuts his very conscience. This is what the enemy of our heart does as well. If you've been saved, you truly have been saved, but the devil will bring up that past guilt, the false guilt in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, chapter 7 verse 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And this is what Laban is banking on. If this is worldly sorrow, that he can manipulate him through his guilt. This is what the devil does in your life. Because whether it's your friends, whether it's your kids, or whether it's just people around you, you'll say, I can't tell them not to drink. I used to drink. I can't tell them not to fool around with their boyfriend or girlfriend. I fooled around with my boyfriend or girlfriend. And then he cuts us at our conscience. So then we do not parent. We do not warn. We do not show the loving kindness of God the way we should because we're being controlled by our guilt. But if we had godly grief, it produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And we can tell the devil that we've confessed our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was talking with a friend not too long ago and we were talking about a, a situation in his life. He had messed up big time. And we were talking about the period of restoration he had gone through. And I said, do you feel cleansed yet? He says, I'm believing for it, but it's still not there. Because it's easy to accept that intellectually, but in a heart way, it's so much harder. Jacob is now having to face his guilt and his father-in-law is able to manipulate him through it. Finally, we have love and redemption. For love and redemption, we actually move away from Jacob and we are going to look at Leah, the cow. I shouldn't say that. She's, Leah, Leah is more important than Rachel in the history of, of salvation. I'll explain that in a second here. 
Um, verse 26, and Laban said, it is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete this week, week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for service, serving me another seven year. Verse 28, so Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him the daughter of Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave him his female, gave gave his female servant Belhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel and also he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. He loved Rachel more than Leah. And we get to verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. The Lord sees Leah and he sees that she is hated so he loves her. And that, that, is, that is the theme throughout the scriptures, right? The unlovely, the hated, the despised, the rejected. God chooses these things over the strong, over the accepted, over the, the handsome, over the beautiful, and he makes them beautiful. In verse 32, and Leah, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So Reuben, what it literally means, it means, see, I have a son. And we saw there in the English, she names him this because she doesn't feel seen. So many people today, that's, their, that's where they're at. They, they scream out, will somebody just see me? Don't overlook me all the time. Don't overlook me for my younger sister. Don't overlook me at the job. Does anybody see what I am doing? Does anybody care? And so she has this son because she is still longing for Jacob, her husband. But he doesn't see her. He doesn't see her. And she's not content in that just yet. In verse 33, she conceives again and bears a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I, have, that I am hated, he has given me a son also. And she called his name Simon. Simon means heard. You can imagine her, her whole life being told, just shut up. Rachel is talking. Who cares about you? Let's go on and being ignored and ignored time and time again. And how many of us, we feel unheard. God hears her. Maybe, maybe Jacob will too and not ignore her anymore, but he'll love her. With her third son, she gives him the name Levi. As we continue to read, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name, his name was called Levi. And Levi, one, meaning attached. It doesn't seem like it's a lot to ask for, especially from your husband. See me, hear me, be attached to me. It's, it's, hard for your, it's hard for your heart not to break for Leah, right? But we have this narrative and we know that that's not going to be the reality that she lives in. And there's so many of us, we have these things, these needs in our life that are not going to be met here on this side of the veil of tears. But the most important one will be. And that's as we continue to read with the last son that is mentioned here. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. 
then she ceased bearing. Judah means praise. It will be Leah, not Rachel, that Jesus Christ comes from. He will be known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Not of Benjamin, not of Joseph, which would be Manasseh or Ephraim, but of Judah, the son of Leah. How much different would praise and worship be at our church if we knew that our only hope for joy, the only hope for the uplifting of our spirits was dependent on our connection through Christ, through praise. Maybe we wouldn't be looking around. Maybe we wouldn't be wondering, hey, is Pastor Jason going to wrap this up? It's 1130. And I am, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But if we really realize that my only hope for peace, for love, for fulfillment in this life is praise. We get to the point where Leah gets to at the end of this chapter. And Leah is the only one at the end of this chapter who's in a good place. Love and longing. What are you longing for? What did you fill the gap in when I said before, um, once this happens, then I will be happy. Love and disappointment. What disappointment do you need? Um, what disappointment do you need your true love to heal? Your true love being Jesus Christ. What disappointment, what scar in your life do you need to be healed? Third, love and redemption. Has love redeemed you? Maybe it's just remembering that that will encourage you today and that you will, as you wait upon the Lord, you renew your strength, you mount upon wings like eagles. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Long for God. In Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do you love Lord? Do you long for the Lord as much as somebody who is dying of dehydration in the desert? Now, I wasn't dying of dehydration in the desert, but I've been in the desert before and dehydration sneaks up on you very, very quick. Do you long for the Lord like water in the desert? Know this, true love does not disappoint. Romans 5, 5. And hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The great ally, the enemy, is that his love is not enough for you. That he's not enough for you. It is a lie. Third, love and redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Today in Sunday school, we are going over Romans 9. I was sharing there. We see, we see salvation as this. God owes it to all of us. If you could understand how sinful we really are, you'd be amazed that anybody's saved ever. And how incredibly miraculous it is that God saves any, let alone me. Love and redemption. Have you been redeemed today? Do you know the Lord today? If you were to die, do you know, you, without a shadow of a doubt, you'd be with him. The worship team's going to lead us in our final song. This is our moment to reflect on the Lord today, to reflect on what the Lord has been telling us. Has your love for him grown cold? 
Go back to the things you once did. That's what the Lord tells the Ephesians. Go back to the things you once did. When you used to seek the Lord with a soft heart. When you'd wake up and you could hear the music of heaven. Being poetic here, maybe you didn't literally hear music, but your heart was soft. And you would invite the Lord in when he'd be knocking. Do you have disappointment you're dealing with right now? Shame, pain, unmet expectations. The lover of your soul is looking to, the doctor of your soul is looking to put that back together and to heal. And if you've been redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord rejoice.